Would you turn your Bible, please, to Revelation, the 13th chapter? Revelation, chapter 13. There are about 25 songs that I wish we could sing every service. <laughs> That's one of them. And then there's a song, What Though Wars May Come, with marching feet and beat of the drum, I have Christ in my heart. As we approach the end of the age, it's going to get more severe. But it doesn't matter because Christ is within. And tonight we come to a section of Scripture that is not at all easy to discuss, but it is very, very important. And we must not dodge those Scripture sections that are difficult. Just go right into them. But we must ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. And tonight, I want to ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, that our lips will be guarded from presumptuous statements, that we'll be constantly under the direction of the Spirit because He knows the meaning of Scripture. He wrote it. Let's ask Him to interpret it to our hearts. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the wonderful atmosphere and spirit that we've sensed here tonight. Thank you for the men who sang, for Brother James and the juniors and the youth chorale, the church choir. Thank you, Father, for all the congregational singing, the blessings of being here tonight. Now, open the word that we might understand and hear beyond the words of the preacher, the word of God and the unction of the Holy Spirit the conviction of thy finger upon our hearts. And Father, may all of us, because of this time together, be better prepared to serve thee and to meet thee. May if there's one person here who has never been saved, may that one come to Jesus tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to read the last part of chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. We read this chapter last Sunday night, and we brought the one in a series of messages. I don't know whether we will finish tonight or not, but we may. We may not. But we're discussing in this, two, in this section the Antichrist the mark of the beast, the political man of sin, and the false prophet. All of these will be revealed during the tribulation period. We cannot identify them today. And anybody who says, I know who they are, you can just mark it down that they didn't get it from God. They may know, but they didn't get it from God. Because the Scripture clearly says that He will not be revealed until the hinderer is removed. And the hinderer is the Holy Spirit. And beloved, the Holy Spirit is still in this earth in individuals who know the Lord. And the man of sin will be not revealed, will not be revealed, nor the prophet, false prophet, until the hinderer, spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2, be removed. And he is still here. But we must talk about it. We must warn ourselves, equip ourselves, because the Scripture is given for our understanding. And there's a special blessing given to those who study the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear and heed the words of this book of prophecy. There's a special blessing. It's the only book in the Bible where we're promised a blessing, even if we don't understand it, if we just read it and heed it. That's the revelation. Now will you listen, beginning in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth 
and them who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast that had the wound by a sword and did live. And he hath power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and enslaved, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell except he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. The book of Revelation divides itself into three sections. Chapter 1, the things which John saw, the vision of the glorified Christ. Chapters 2 and 3, the vision of the things which are the church age, from the church at Ephesus to the church at Laodicea, symbolizing churches that were in session at that time when John wrote about the year 90 A.D. Also symbolizing the church of each age down through the corridor of the years until Christ shall come and the end of the church age issues. The third division of Revelation begins with chapter 4 and it goes through chapter 22 and it describes the things which are yet future, the things which shall be. The outline is given in chapter 1, verse 19, where the Lord said to John, write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be. Now in that section that deals with the things which shall be, chapters 4 and 5 have scenes set in heaven where the believers have been ushered into the glorious presence of the Lord and we hear those wonderful songs, the five songs of the redeemed and we'll sing when we get home. One of those songs, they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the, book, open the scrolls, seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us by thy, by thy blood out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation and has made us unto our, unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now beginning in chapter 6 and going through chapter 11, we have a quick panoramic view of the things which are going to happen during the tribulation. Chapter 4, verse 1 is the rapture where the believers are caught out. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I heard a voice saying, come up hither. And the believers were caught up out of the earth into the glory. Down here on the earth, this earth gets darker and darker and darker. As the sin, tides, flood at high tide because the hinderer has been removed, the Holy Spirit. That occurs in chapter 4, verse 1. Now in chapter 6, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding across the stage of the tribulation. And the first horseman is the white horse, the man on the white horse. And you notice in chapter 6 as we studied this, that he comes to power without the firing of a shot. He has an arrow, that is he has a bow but no arrows. And he has given a kingdom and the whole earth. Beloved, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, and the Lord should come while we're here, the believers would all be taken out. We'll go to be with the Lord. 
We'll be in that wonderful presence and we'll begin to sing the songs of Zion and we'll see things that are not lawful for men here to sing and to see, oh, what a wonderful joy it will be. But here in the earth, you can watch for the first thing to occur is going to come riding across the stage of history a man who is a man of peace. And all the world will go after him. England, France, Germany. All those countries in Europe and down in the Near East and probably the United States. And that man of peace will rise to rule over the ancient Roman Empire. But after a while it will be revealed what he is, that he's a man of blood, he's a man of war, and he will cause terrible conflagration on the earth, such as never has been since the beginning of time. All of that is revealed in chapters 6 through 11. At the end of this period, chapter 11, verse 15, will be, revealed, will be fulfilled where the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever, the glorious second coming of Jesus with 10,000 of his saints to put an end to Armageddon. Now, beginning in chapter 12 and going through chapter 19, we have a more detailed account of the things that happen in, from chapter 6 to chapter 11. And in chapters 12 through 19, we have, you might say, a close-up view of the terrible tribulation. Now, in chapter 12, as we studied a few weeks ago, we have the 12 personages or the 12 personalities of the end. Verses 1 and 2, the woman Israel. Verses 3 and 4, the red dragon Satan. Verses 5 and 6, the male child Christ. Verses 7 to 10, Michael the archangel. Verse 12, the inhabitants of the earth to whom a warning is given, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That's chapter 12. As we come to chapter 13, chapter 13 is the story of the rise of the two beasts. You can hardly understand chapter 13 of Revelation unless you understand or have some knowledge of chapter 7 of Daniel. So would you hold your finger in chapter 13 of Revelation and turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. And I want to read some excerpts from this section, Daniel chapter 7. Beginning with verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, diverse from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between its teeth, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon its back four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, we're in verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with its feet, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Ten horns. Underscore that, ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before which there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. And I beheld till the thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery, fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. And I beheld, then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, 
They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people and nations and languages should serve. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now in verses 1 through 14, we've read a quick panoramic view. Beginning in verse 19, or rather verse 15, we have a more detailed account of this strange vision of Daniel. I hope you have your Bibles open. Have your Bible open, please, to Daniel chapter 7. You get much more out of it. Look in chapter 7, verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. I came near to one of them and stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known the interpretation of things. The great beasts, which are four, are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns which were in its head, and of the others which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn which had eyes, and a mouth that spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than its fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And that time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom, or ten kings, shall arise, and another shall, king shall rise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be diverse from the first. He shall subdue three kings. He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change the times and the laws and they shall be given unto him until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his kingdom to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, in this section, we have a parallel to chapter 13 of Revelation. And in this section, we have seen the world empires coming and going. And we've come now to the fourth beast who parallels chapter 13. Now, let's go back to chapter 13 of Revelation. Except for a brief number in uh, Revelation 6, 1 and 2, we have had no discussion so far in the book of Revelation of the Antichrist. It hasn't even been mentioned until we come to chapter 13. Now in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we have the white horse, the man on the white horse, which pictures the Antichrist. But quickly the scene has changed because in chapters 6 to 11, we have a quick panoramic view just like a glimpse of the whole thing, and you can hardly pick out the details. But then beginning in chapter 12 and 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, the camera lens moves in and focuses on this scene and this scene and this scene and this scene. And in chapter 13, the camera of prophecy is focusing on the rise of the Antichrist. Now the Antichrist has a parallel with him who is the false prophet. Let's notice these thoughts. From chapter 13 through the end of chapter 19, the Antichrist holds center stage in the book of Revelation. It is impossible to understand this without noticing what we've already looked at in Daniel 7. Now notice, I beheld, uh, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. The other beast in chapter 13, verse 11, 
comes up out of the earth. And so these are not the same beasts. They're two different ones. They're not one and the same. They're two different ones. One comes from the sea. And in Scripture, the sea is symbolic of political confusion. Out of the political confusion, there comes a political beast. The earth, on the other hand, represents religious matters in Scripture. And the beast that rises out of the earth rises out of those scenes which are ecclesiastical. In chapter 13, verses 2 and 4, we notice that this beast out of the sea is related to the dragon. In chapter 13, verse 12, we notice that he is related to another beast who exercises all the authority of the first one, who is the false prophet. Now in that passage in Daniel 7, 1 to 7, we notice that he is related, this beast in chapter 13 is related to Daniel's several beasts, the lion, the bear, the leopard, the ten-horned beast. And you'll notice that in Daniel 7, verses 8 and 25, he spoke great arrogant words and blasphemies and made war against the saints just as did the little horn in chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 5, the activity of the beast is limited to 42 months. In Daniel 7, verse 28, his activity is, really, is, is limited to time and times and half a time, which is the time signature for three and a half years or 42 months, the same. In Daniel 7, 23, you'll notice the beast had universal authority. So did the universal authority, so did the beast in chapter 13 have universal authority. He emerges as the man of sin, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 that we studied last Sunday night. And in 1 John 2, 18, 22, he is called the Antichrist. Now the scripture calls this man of sin the Antichrist because he poses as the Christ, yet he represents everything that is opposite the Christ. And when you add the prefix anti, you mean who stands opposed to or who substitutes himself for the Christ. And that's what the Antichrist is. The one who opposes the Christ or the one who stands for everything that is opposite what the real Christ, our Lord Jesus, stands for. Now in chapter 13, verse 7, notice that he rules over all the people. Every person who is not saved, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is worshipped by all the people. Now, there's something else about this man. He seems to have some supernatural power. The Antichrist is the fulfillment of all the desires and dreams of Alexander the Great, of the Caesars, of Napoleon Bonaparte, of Kaiser Wilhelm, of Adolf Hitler, of Joseph Stalin, of every dictator that has ever lifted his head against the people of God. This Antichrist stands in their train. It's no wonder that when the freight cars were carrying the Jews to the furnaces in Germany. Some of the preachers, too late, began to say, Hitler is the Antichrist. And any of you who lived during World War II, recall that some would even say, Hitler must be the Antichrist. And after World War II, others said, Stalin must be the Antichrist. The reason they said that is not so much 
that theologically they were saying the Bible says that Hitler must be the Antichrist or Stalin must be the Antichrist, as if, but rather they were saying what Hitler is doing and what Stalin is doing and what the Caesars did and what Napoleon did and what the Caesar and what uh, Alexander did and all the others who have ever tried to stand against the men of God, the people of God, they are standing in the train of what the Bible says about the Antichrist. But his identity is not yet revealed. In verse 7, we're told he rules all the people over all the people. In verse 8, we're told he is worshipped by all the people. In chapter 13, verse 3, apparently this man of sin will overcome a terrible defeat, a life-death struggle. Notice, I saw one of his heads as though it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. That's a strange statement. Some have said, well, perhaps this represents someone who was once politically great and had a terrible tumble, but he's made a comeback. Others have said this represents somebody who was really killed. But in supernatural power, just as the Christ came back to life, the Antichrist will come back to life and thus all the people will worship before him. We do not know. This may be highly symbolic. We may discover I think from heaven's portals that this will be fulfilled exactly as it's written. We do not know that right now, but we need to be aware of it. We need to study it. Now I want you to notice the beast from the earth, verses 11 to 18. Verse 11, he arose from the earth a local land area, perhaps, in John's mind. Maybe John was thinking of Asia or Asia Minor or the Near East. We do not know what was in John's mind impressed there by the Holy Spirit except the words. He said, there arose a beast out of the earth. Symbolically, this suggests out of the ecclesiastical earth. Secondly, his purpose. Look in verse 12, 16, and 17. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. He causeth the earth and them who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and enslaved, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Verse 17, and no man might buy or sell except he had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. The mark, or the name, or the number of his name. That's three selections. Everybody may not have the same mark. Now notice in verse 13, he performs great miracles. Now beloved, everybody that does miracles is not of God. Let me impress that on you again. Just because you see somebody perform miracles, that does not mean they're of God. Now, a lot of people have been deceived by the, by the psychics. Or they've been deceived by the palm readers. You go and have your palm read, and I certainly do not advise anybody to do that. But if you go have your palm read, many of them are quacks and fakes. Uh, when I was a, a young boy, they used to say, I don't know, I've never been to a palm reader, but they used to say if you have a long line, that means you're going to live a long time. Well, if that's true, I'm never going to die. Mine goes clear around to here. If that's true, I believe that I'm going to go up in the rapture <laughs> and never die. Of course, I don't know whether that's true or not. But the palm readers, many of them are fakes and quacks. But, listen to this, some of them get what they give you from the devil. They get it from the devil. Now the devil does not know everything like God knows everything, but he knows a lot. You see, he attacks men in their minds. He puts those thoughts in men's minds, and he knows what he's put in the minds of people. 
So there's no reason why he couldn't come and say to some psychic or some palm reader, I've put it in the mind of such and such to do such and such, and then you tell it, and they tune in and get that from the devil. Now, beloved, I don't want to get my information about the future from the devil. So I encourage you to never go to a palm reader, Madam Kennedy or any of the rest of them. Now, love them, pray for them, witness to them. There would really be nothing wrong if you're strong enough to go in and read her palm and tell her that she's on her way to hell unless she repents, turns to Jesus. Nothing wrong with that at all. But don't have her reading your palm or any of the other psychics because they get their power from the devil. Now look in verse 13. He doeth great wonders. He makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast that had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, this is not going to occur until the believers are caught away. That is the fulfillment of the scripture. But we're going to see the prelude of it. We may already be seeing it. For example, they tell me that last Friday spring began. You can't tell it by the weather. But about two weeks ago, it looked like spring was already here. And everybody was saying, and I was one of them. I said, well, I guess the winter's over, and we're going to have spring, and oh, isn't it wonderful? And oh, just think how wonderful spring is going to be. And oh, we were just, you know, almost going around in short sleeve shirts. We'd put our coats away and so on. And we thought, this is just wonderful. But March the 20th or 21st or 22nd, whatever day is the first spring, spring, day of spring, hadn't come yet. But we saw the prelude of it, didn't we? Now that we're in it, it isn't even spring. That's the way it's going to look when the tribulation comes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Before the tribulation starts, we're going to see the storm clouds. We're going to see mighty works of the devil. And then when it comes, those who are still here will say, isn't this wonderful? Well, this is an age of peace. We've got a leader that's a man of peace. That's what the Bible says, Revelation 6. Beloved, don't be deceived by that. The first part of the tribulation is going to be a time of peace. Peace, peace when there is no peace. And then that man of sin will be revealed for what he is and there will be bloodshed and war and hatred and variance and all kinds of judgments on this earth that will be unleashed as we get in chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And we'll see it. But I want you to notice that this man of sin and his false prophet have power to work miracles. Were there any miracles worked that were not by God in the Old Testament Scripture? Do you remember when Moses went down to Pharaoh and he said, now God said, let my people go, and he took that little rod he had and threw it down and became a snake? And the magicians and the astrologers came in before Pharaoh and they took their little rods and they threw them down and they became snakes. You think the devil can't do that? Of course he can I read somewhere, I don't know whether there's any truth to it or not, I read somewhere that in the, in the Himalayan mountains in, the Asia, in Southeast Asia that there are quack religious people. Incidentally, there, there's a strong rise. Please read about this. I've said this for a number of years and some of you don't even believe me. But there's a strong rise in the Eastern religions of tongues. Tongues, T-O-N-G-U-S tongues, ecstatic utterances. Just because somebody speaks in tongues does not mean that they're of God. They may be of the devil. I'm not saying everybody that speaks in tongues is of the devil, but they could be. And in that Southeast Asia, there are some holy men who have been raising people from the dead. Yeah. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I've read it. But I want you to mark it down in your little book. It's not from God. Because God doesn't give that authority to anybody except in the name of Jesus. So any miracles you read that, are not, that don't give Jesus the honor and the glory are not of God. 
You may read about them, but they're not of God. And in the first part of the tribulation period, there's, this false prophet is going to have the power to work miracles. A miracle is not necessarily a sign that God's finger is on it. It could be of the power of the devil. How do you tell the difference? Well, the difference is, does the miracle bring glory to Jesus? That's the, that's the question. Does it bring glory to Jesus? Anything that doesn't bring glory to Jesus, no matter how exciting it is, is not of God. That's the reason you can have a pretty worship service. Have everybody come out and dressed in the most beautiful splendor and sing notes that are in perfect harmony. And nobody whispers a word. They all sit there scared to death that they will smile. Their cheeks might crack. And there's utter reverence. And it may not honor Jesus at all. Amen. By the same token, a bunch of hoop and a roll made on honor Jesus. The question is, what's the purpose of it? Is the purpose to honor and glorify the king? Well, in the tribulation, that's not what the purpose of the false prophet is. The false prophet's purpose is to honor and glorify the Antichrist. But he'll have a religious realm. He'll have a lot of religion. They used to sing a song, everybody's going to have religion and glory. Everybody's going to be singing that story. You know what that is? That's the gospel boogie came out of hell. They're not going to do that in glory. That's not going to be the way it is. They may be doing it somewhere else, but not there. And everybody may have religion in the, in the tribulation period, but they're not going to have the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the beast out of the earth is to cause the people of the earth to worship the first beast. He performs all these signs. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, we read, Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. There are a lot of deceivers in the earth. And then number four, he enforces the word of the beast and the mark of the beast. A sign in the right hand or forehead which gives everybody the right to buy or sell. And without that mark, nobody has the right to buy or sell. Now, who gives it? The ecclesiastical beast. Now, I really wish I had about three hours tonight. I don't. But I have an article here that will chill your blood. The Kremlin KGB aide is the new head of the World Council of Churches. Beloved, don't ever be part of something that contributes to the World Council of Churches. During our terrible conflagration, conflagration with Vietnam, North Vietnam, the World Council of Churches while we fought in South Vietnam to defend the little bit of democracy was left there, the World Council of Churches was feeding money and goods and everything else they could to the North Vietnamese, the communists, the atheists. I don't have time tonight to read about this Kremlin KGB aide who is the head of the World Council, but I do have interesting news. When the Baptist World Alliance met in Canada, Toronto, the Baptist who had been under severe persecution in Russia, who had been in a concentration camp, Mr. Vines, he had gotten out, you recall, about a year and a half ago by the insistence of the believers of America who had pestered and worried and written letters and telephoned to the Congress until the Congress passed a resolution calling on Russia to, to get him out. And finally, President Carter assisted in the release 
and the swapping of that dissident, they called him. He came to America. He went to the World Council of Churches, and he said, the Baptists who are representing the Russian Baptists are not the ones who represent the real Baptists of Russia. He was not allowed a place on the program at the Baptist World Alliance. That's tragic. He represented the underground churches. He said, those other churches, although there are some true believers in them, and some of them may have some preachers that really are, are, are saved preachers, but they have sold out to the government. They have knuckled under the government's control. And we're going to see the same thing occur in America. Listen, the battle lines are drawing, being drawn right now. I thank God for Lester Roloff. You may not like him, I don't know. That's your opinion, you have a privilege to that. But Lester Roloff represents a man of God in America who had the gumption to stand up and say, the state cannot license our church, our daycare, our school, our homes, anything we have. Now in saying that, he got the ire of all the religious people. He got the ire of the judges. He got the ire of the attorneys. And NBC and ABC and CBS tried to make him a laughing stock. He's still operating his homes and his schools, and the truth marches on for a while. We may see that same thing happen, but I want to tell you, you will see it happen in the tribulation. We may see a little bit of it happening now as a prelude, as the Ten Commandments are removed. How foolish can you get? When I was growing up in the church manual, there wasn't any school probably more worldly, less godly than DuPont Manual. When I was growing up, I went to DuPont Manual, graduated from that school. And they cursed and they swore and everything else, but I'll tell you, they had Bibles on the desks. They didn't have drugs. And the people, most of the students were not alcoholics. And premarital sex, some of it went on, but it was not something that everybody laughed at and did openly. They had Ten Commandments on the walls. And I remember a teacher named Dean Smith, a crazy teacher. He made me memorize the prologue to the Canterbury Tales. One that a prologue with a sure sure, the drood of March, the person of the root, and bother every vein, switch the cure, which virtue engendered is the floor. When's the father saying with his sweet of breath and spirit, how can never hold he the tender crop on the young son, how in his course, how the course run? All that foolish thing. He was crazy. But do you know what he'd do every once in a while? He'd read those Ten Commandments. And I didn't hear a judge in Louisville say anything about it. I didn't hear a Supreme Court man anywhere. We went to Washington last year and noticed on the Supreme Court building, there are the Ten Commandments. But now we're taking them down off the walls because it's against the law of America. We've outlawed the Bible. We've outlawed prayer. All of this, I'm saying to you, is a prelude to what is going to come later. When the tribulation comes, then it will be the tide of sin at high tide. The floods pouring down on this old world and yet there will be a religious group who will maintain a form of religion and get everybody in the name of religion to worship or to give respect or reverence to the political beast. I don't think in, in the kind of times we have, I may be wrong, the, the scripture says worship. But I don't interpret that as saying that this, this false religious group is going to make everybody bow down and worship before the political antichrist. That's probably not what it means. It means that their attitude is going to be one of worship. And there are people that do that today. If the government says do a certain thing, boy, they say we better do it. Guess we better do it. If the, if the government says look left, we better look left. The government says look right, we better look right. Listen. The government cannot dictate to your heart. Now, we ought to obey the rules of the land. I believe in that. We ought to obey the policemen. Don't spit on them and call them pigs. Thank God for them. We ought to obey the rules of the land unless those rules interrupt your heart worship to God. 
Same thing's true of a church, same thing's true of a school. But when the tribulation comes, it'll be far more severe. Now, I'll have to close. My time's up. But let me close by that last verse. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. Six, sixty-six. When I was growing up, six, sixty-six was a, some kind of a syrup or a cough. I don't know whether it was cough medicine or whether it was some kind of a purgative. I don't know what it was. What was that? Some of you guys, Charlie, you know what that was. Some of you guys are old as I am. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But anyway, then 666 became something else. And you go to Jerusalem today and you see on the license plate 666. Let's look beyond those signatures. I don't know all that that means. I have, I have some interesting thoughts. Listen to this. Recently, Ross M. Dick of the journal staff in Chicago reported to General Motors headquarters in Detroit. They are talking about a 666 year at GM. The president said, we're looking at the national economy and 666 means that we should achieve a 6% gain in real gross national products, a 6% living inflation rate, and if we're lucky, an unemployment rate of 6% by the end of the year. 666. You know what 666 means? In Bible numerology, there are certain, there are certain uh, truths connected with numbers. For example, the signature of God in the Bible is three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the book of Proverbs says a threefold cord cannot quickly be broken. That's the signature of God. Every time you see three, you see the signature of God. The signature of perfection, of maturity, is number seven. Five, six, seven. That's the signature of maturity or perfection. That's the reason if we shake hands with seven people, we've shaken hands with everybody, symbolically. The number eight is the number for one more than perfection, which is the number for eternity or heaven. So you have any idea what the number six stands for? The number six stands for man. Man. One less than God. One less than perfection. One less than fulfillment. One less than perfection. One less than maturity. And when you take six and cubit, it means man to his highest, most brilliant ability. He's still a man. But he will do everything he's con he's, that it's possible for him to do to rule this earth, to bring about the kind of order that he thinks ought to be, subtracting God from it. Do you know what that may mean? I'm whispering it because it may not be true and I don't... I, I've asked God to guard my lips from presumptuous statements, but do you know what religion is carried on in the name of man today? Its name is humanism, the religion of man. Secular humanism, which, he, which places man on a pedestal and says man doesn't need God, he doesn't need any moral values, it's all situational. Man is completely in control. And the Bible says that the number of the beast is the number of man cubed to the highest he can go. And look what a mess he makes of it all. Now, I am sure that that will all be fulfilled in a person, the political antichrist. In a person, the ecclesiastical prophet or false prophet, the beast, out of the earth. But the highest they'll ever get is six. Man, leaving God out, will make a total failure of it all. And all the armies of the world will gather around Jerusalem to battle. And Jesus will come with 10,000 of his saints and with the word of his mouth, put an end to it all and establish his thousand years of peace. And then the world will know 
how to have peace, how to have joy, how to have world government. Beloved, that's all the time I have tonight. I'm not even a third finished. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, oh, we thank you for this wonderful book of Revelation and all that it unfolds to us. We pray that tonight, if there is one person here who has not been saved, that he would not run the risk or the danger of going into that tribulation without the wedding garment of Jesus. Oh, God, if there's the least doubt in a little boy's mind, a little girl's mind, in a teenager's mind, in an adult's mind tonight about his eternal salvation, may he get it settled tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? I do not know why God has laid on my heart over and over again to, to bring series of messages from these books of prophecy. Except, as I've prayed, it seemed I heard behind me a, a voice saying, get people ready, get people ready. Now, beloved, I've been preaching that for 20 over 20 years in this place. And I want to talk to you out of my heart a minute. Years ago, God revealed to my heart that there were young people who would come through the portals of this church who would one day suffer for their faith. Some of them would die for their faith. I don't know when that's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, maybe, but it's going to. We're getting closer and closer to the end of the age. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. I don't know the day. My master hasn't told me. But I'm here to tell you tonight, get ready. It's coming. And if you're not saved, if you're not positive, double proof positive that you're God's child and if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven, I want to urge you to get your faith in Jesus immediately. Trust him. Repent of sin. Turn to God. And if you're not right with God, You've been saved, but somehow you've allowed things to collect between your vision and God so that you can't see Him as clearly as once you did. Get those things moved and let the Holy Spirit fill you with Himself. For Jesus' sake, let's do it. Do it now. Don't put it off. Do it now. While we begin to sing, is there somebody who ought to come and say, I want to be saved? Or I want to obey the Lord in baptism? Or I want to recommit my life to the Lord? Or if the Lord gives me time, I'm willing to go and serve him on a mission field somewhere around the world or here in this city or in this nation. We do what God tells you to do while we begin to sing, who will come for the king tonight.